There's no one single magic policy that will cure police violence, police brutality, police misconduct, police corruption. Instead, it takes dozens and dozens of different policies working in concert with one another. But there's one that I think is probably as effective as anything could possibly be, and it's police oversight commissions. They've hardly been created the way we really need them to, but today I want to tell you how we can create city by city, county by county, all over the country, civilian-led, citizen-led police oversight commissions that actually do phenomenal job at holding police accountable. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the, the Breakdown. The the, the, the Breakdown. The the, the, the Breakdown. This past weekend in Chicago, you, you might have seen this. Police shot and injured a young black man in the neighborhood of Inglewood. And as reports of yet another police shooting in Chicago spread, They were complicated by conflicting details about the case. First, people were saying that it was a young child. Then people discovered that none of the police had body cameras on. Then people were arguing over whether or not the young man was armed or not armed. And residents quickly, and and I, I saw this happen literally unfold online minute by minute. It it went from, what, what do you say, zero, zero to 100 real quick? Like, it, it got bad quickly. And it was a sign of just how badly people's nerves are frayed, how tired people are of police brutality, not just in Chicago, but all over the country. Because normally what would take days sometimes to boil over. I swear it looked in Chicago like it boiled over in minutes. And uh, Father Flager of St. Sabina Church there, he said, right now the city, this is a quote, is like a keg of dynamite. He went on to say, people are so frustrated, so hopeless, so angry that it doesn't take much. He says, if you just light a match and throw it on the fire, he said, it goes up. And today, I want to talk about one cause of this anger and frustration in the wake of police shootings and one really important step that we can take to help address it. Now, this is admittedly an incredibly complex issue with very specific causes in Chicago. And I want to say that because I've learned, I've you've heard me say this, I've traveled over the past six years of the Black Lives Matter movement. I've traveled now to 47 states I've traveled to almost every major American city in the country. And and in each of those cities, I have taught, I have learned, I have organized, I have engaged families and, and organizations that have been impacted by police violence. And what I've learned, and this is so important, that what works in Miami doesn't necessarily work in Portland. And what works in Portland might not work in Chicago. And what works in Chicago, even though it's it's a major city, may not work here in New York where I live, which is a major city. Everything is not cut and paste. But there is one larger solution 
that I think can be customized for each city. And if done to the best of its ability, I think could be a breakthrough way for us to confront not just fatal police violence, but all forms of police misconduct, sexual abuse, corruption, falsifying evidence, uh, planting of evidence, uh, and everything in between. And here's the thing. Right now in Chicago, where black and brown neighborhoods have historically been super neglected, even in in the midst of a devastating pandemic, and where the relationship between these communities and law enforcement has been strained by decades of policing, we have to understand that how you solve the crisis of violence, including police violence in Chicago, is not simple. But I want to push today on some of the ways we can solve it. Because here's the thing. The responses that we see to police shootings, they're not only a reflection of the pain and sadness over another life lost or gravely injured due to state-sanctioned violence. Because after a police shooting or killing, after this violence, we are also forced into the unavoidable conclusion that police continue to think they're above the law and that the systems of accountability that we have just seem to not work. And the way I say it is that they were designed in some ways not to work. And we've been given no reason to have faith that it's going to work. So basically, we are expected to just accept that the people in charge, even if it's the mayor or the police chief, that they're not going to give us answers about about what really happened, that they're not going to get to the bottom of why these injustices continue to happen. And ultimately, that not only will we fail to get justice, but we might not even get a chance to help make sure that what happened to our neighbor or to our friend or our family member or loved one, that it never happens to anybody else. And so the cycle, and that's what's wearing people down right now, the cycle continues with each incident building up more anger and more frustration in the community until it finally boils over. People are tired of the cycle, and it just doesn't have to be this way. Now, around the country, Cities have started to improve their systems of police oversight in ways that actually give communities some measure of confidence that they will at least get answers and a voice in the process when it comes to police violence. And while this might might not be the same thing as getting the sort of justice that we ultimately deserve, it's a critical step in rebuilding trust between law enforcement and the community which will go a long way toward addressing the anger and the frustration that we feel in the aftermath. Let me break it down. Break it down. Uh, Many years ago, when I was the senior justice writer at the New York Daily News, I wrote a series on 25 ways that we could effectively, drastically reduce police brutality in this country. And I actually mapped out about a hundred different ways that we could do so. But the the big point, the big takeaway was that no single policy takes it away. Each policy could reduce it by one, two, three percent. No policy eliminates it. No policy 
takes away not just police violence, not just fatal police violence, but but police misconduct, racial profiling and all police violence itself is a complex problem and you have to approach it as such. But one way that I strongly, strongly believe that we can impact all police misconduct in a major way is with civilian citizen led police oversight. Now, there are lots of models for police oversight, and they're not all created equal. Your city may have already assembled a civilian review board of some sort, which is great, which is likely made up of non-law enforcement members who have some degree of input on police discipline and policy. And while this is generally better than nothing and better than allowing police to police themselves as they do in almost every American city, It's not enough to simply give citizens a little bit of input on these matters. We have to have full civilian control or what's now known in the justice reform community as direct democratic community control over law enforcement. In other words, the people who are being policed have to be granted meaningful power to determine how they are policed. Now, in a recent report that was published by my friends at the Justice Collaborative Institute, Professor Maria Awilio of Loyola's University of Chicago School of Law laid out some criteria for effective civilian oversight. And I want to read some of what she says because it was super insightful to me. She says these boards, quote, must be of the people meaning that their members should be drawn from the very populations most affected by police violence. They must also function, in her words, independently of mayors, police chiefs, and law enforcement, meaning that those groups can't veto or otherwise inject themselves into the board's decisions. And perhaps most importantly, Huilio writes that civilian review boards have to have real power. This means giving them the authority to actually create the rules for the police, not simply advise on their creation, on the creation of the rules, but give them rules they must follow. What that means is that civilian oversight boards have to have the power to actually discipline officers, not merely suggest that they must be disciplined. It means giving them say in reviewing policies and procedures related to use of force, and it means giving them the ability to recommend changes as they see fit. It means letting these boards actually investigate the police by being able to subpoena information and records and witnesses. It means letting them audit and determine police budgets. And it means expecting them to report back to the public with their findings. Now, as simple and straightforward as all of this might sound, this is not even remotely close to how civilian review boards work across the country. Police officers are public servants, and yet they are seemingly unaccountable to the very public they serve. And in most cities and towns, policing is nowhere near transparent. Very few police departments even track and release basic information, like how many people they injure, how many people they stop, or how many people they shoot, or how many black people they shoot. And even when this data is available, It's rarely used to hold specific officers or the department accountable. And even cities that have made some progress on civilian oversight have a ton of room for improvement. 
Each civilian review board operates in a wildly different way. They were all created with good intentions. But some boards only have the authority to review investigations that have already been conducted internally by police. So basically, police do their investigation and say, hey, why don't you all look at what we did? (laughs) That's not, that doesn't need to go that way. In many jurisdictions, members of civilian review boards and commissions are actually appointed by the mayor. They're not members of the community. And in general, civilian boards tend to suffer from a lack of capacity and resources. Many of them have inadequate investigative powers and insufficient independence from the mayor and police chiefs. And as a result, these boards have, by and large, failed to live up to the promise of bringing real accountability and transparency to policing. If you look at New York City, for example, although it has a relatively involved civilian complaint review board, the panel has no authority to discipline officers. That power ultimately falls to the police commissioner, who can do basically whatever they want to do. In the five-year period ranging from 2014 to 2018, the review board recommended the termination or suspension of 600 officers. But the commission didn't fire a single officer following those recommendations. Not one. And in Chicago, which already has a civilian office of police accountability that's been given some basic responsibilities, activists have been fighting unsuccessfully to create a new elected board that would have the power to investigate and fire police officers. Now, here's the thing. It's clear to me that we not only need to do so much more to create additional systems of civilian oversight on policing, but we have to really improve the few systems that already exist. And that's exactly what Americans support. A recent survey conducted by my friends at Data for Progress and the Justice Collaborative Institute found that 69% of voters supported the creation of police oversight commissions that are comprised of civilians that have the power to review police actions, issue subpoenas, and recommend discipline where police are engaged in misconduct. And when voters were asked whether this sort of police oversight would help boost confidence in police or make policing worse, nearly 70% of all voters said, no, this would really help. The city of Oakland has taken perhaps the single most promising action on this front following a 2016 community-initiated ballot measure that established a new police commission and a community police review agency, which uh, mounted its own independent investigation of civilian complaints that are alleging police misconduct, and it puts discipline in the community's hands. The commission holds open and transparent public hearings on law enforcement issues, and it, it, that includes the police department's policies. And it's probably what's going on in Oakland is probably the best model we have in the country right now. It's not perfect, but the commission can propose changes to department procedures or approve or reject efforts from within the department to change guidelines that are related to the use of force, profiling, group gatherings and more. And it also has the power to remove the chief of police, which basically means The chief is accountable to the people, and it has the ultimate decision-making authority on officer discipline when there's disagreement between the community police review agency and the chief of police. They have the power. Now, I'll be the first to admit, and I'll finish with this, that even a perfectly functioning civilian review board 
is not going to solve all the issues of racist policing and violence. It's just not how it's going to happen. But a good, quality, strong review board could do so much of that. As I've said on previous shows, there's no single solution. But I truly believe that we have to implement a wide variety of bold and ambitious strategies to reimagine the role of policing and move us toward a world, listen to me, where cops are no longer seen as the first and often only response to all of our problems. But as long as we have police departments that remain so actively involved in our society and every facet of our society, it's essential that we have effective systems of oversight to keep officers in check and give communities some reason to trust that they're not on their own when police do get out of hand. And the only way to do this is if we ensure that the community, the people, not the police, have the ultimate authority to police the police themselves. Take care, you all. Break it down. Break it down. Break it down. Hey, everybody. I want to tell you about a brand new podcast that I love a lot. And it's not because there's a woman that I love who is the co-host, my dear wife, Ray. But she is co-hosting a brilliant, important, essential podcast called Woke at Work with Dr. Blanca Ruiz. It's an amazing podcast about women of color in the workplace and all of the unique challenges and opportunities and sophistications. And they have brilliant interviews and they unpack the myriad of issues, what it really means to be a woman of color in leadership in the workplace and so much more. You spell it W-O-C at work. W-O-C at work. Women of color at work. Search it. It's on all of the platforms now. It's getting amazing reviews. And I want you to check it out. Break it down.